Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sir Giles, I heard that once upon a time you were cycling around Japan with with Dylan Cuthbert, someone who went out to work at Nintendo uh, with you from Argonaut Games uh, way back when. And you were cycling around and you had some very important Nintendo documents in your bag. I heard that, you know, maybe it was some design documents. What happened there? Uh, No, it's all lies. Nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, so I don't think we've told... Nintendo about this or anything, but um, yeah, we, I was take we were taking them home uh, to to study or, or look at over the weekend, I think, and we went to the pub on the way back home. Dylan didn't have a bicycle, so he was standing on the back of my bicycle. I was pedaling, and we went over a crossing right in the middle of this, the biggest crossing in Kyoto, and we fell over because we were a bit drunk. <laughs> um, actually, I think it was on the way back from the pub. Um, and all the papers came out of the basket, and it was a windy day, so they just started blowing all over the place. And then oh, the no. light turned green, you know, for all the cars to sort of start moving. So we had to scramble and just pick up hundreds of pieces of paper. Yeah, ten minutes. But what were what were on those pieces of paper? Um, I think I think they were Star Fox um, design uh, <laughs> documents and stuff like that. Uh, highly, so very, very to... top secret, and the, you know Nintendo said make sure you don't lose them or take them out or leave them in the pub or something like that. And I think we managed to do all of the things they said don't do. <laughs> so what happened when? Because presumably they were kind of a bit mucked up and ruined. And oh, yeah, did, did was, Nintendo was, ever? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't complain. They just thought we were just not very good at handling. Because well, actually, maybe it worked in our favor because it looked like we were actually studying them so hard that they got a bit messed up (laughs) welcome to one to one an interview podcast series where i bertie a journalist at eurogamer talk to the brilliant people in and around the world of games today someone whose story as you probably just heard stretches all the way back to nintendo in the 1990s when they were one of the first people from the west Uh, hired to work inside the house of Mario in Japan. They were spotted for their groundbreaking work in 3D, and it would would lead them to help making the Super FX chip and, as we've heard, the legendary uh, Super Nintendo game Star Fox. They were also instrumental in making Stunt Race FX, 1080 snowboarding, and that Mario face you stretch and pull apart, uh, well, stretch, in Mario 64. Magical gaming moments. They are Giles Goddard. Hi, Giles. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, oh, welcome. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, now, I usually ask people what I've interrupted them 
doing uh, at this point in the day, but I think it's probably the end of the day for you in Japan. Mm. Um, so what, what's today been like? What have you been doing today? Um, well, uh, today was a bit different because I needed to 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 think about lots of stuff. So I went on a long walk. Um, oh, uh, and then just got got back and, and did a ton of emails and then did a phone call and stuff. So it was a very sort of different day than usual. Usually I'm just sitting there programming, but, but today was different. So is walking typically something you do to help you think? You just oh, kind yeah, of yeah, up yeah. and walk around. Yeah, and the, and the great thing about living, well, half living in Chota is the the surrounded by mountains so you can just get on a bicycle be in the mountains in 10 minutes kind of thing. so it's, it's a great it's a great uh way of thinking through problems I find. And you don't take any confidential design documents I try, well not anymore you. i do it on my phone but everything's <laughs> in the cloud now thankfully we use less paper but you know equally it's you know if you lose your phone or you get hacked it's probably even worse than dropping them on a yeah an interception so I like snooping into people's kind of office spaces because this is something that COVID has kind of allowed us to do. Um, so what are we seeing behind you? I see a shelving unit, for those of you who are listening, seeing a shelving unit um, filled with, there are quite a lot of bottles of alcohol, actually, that I uh, can well, see. I, well, just... actually, well, I'm sitting at a bar because on the bottom floor of our studio is a bar that we use for parties and stuff. Know. So, yeah, it's it's there's lots of unopened bins. Uh, some some of our games, some of our tap, and just general stuff that we we have for party use. Stuff. We tend ah, to have, we well, tend to have make... a lot of parties. Okay, well that makes me a bit more comfortable than it just being your office that's got. Oh tons right, of... yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we do we don't drink an awful lot. Yeah, but when we do, we we, we have we have it at the the bar area. Which um, okay, and I can see some of the games I think you've made in the background there. So we've got um, uh, Cursed to Golf. That was your most recent one. Yep, yep. That came out, uh, I think it was a year ago, actually. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, that's on platforms. That's on Switch and PC and everything. It's PlayStation. Really, really fun sort of roguelike golf game. Very nice. Um, okay, I should uh, probably stop asking you to turn around because I think every time you do, your microphone catches on your, oh, okay. uh, about that. your lapel a little bit. So we're talking today um, a few days away from Star Fox's 30th uh, birthday, um, which is the game that kind of began this wild adventure for you. And we'll come on to that in a bit more detail in a second. How does it feel kind of approaching that anniversary? Do you feel anything at all? Uh, so- does it kind of bring back memories? Yeah, to be honest, it, it it does. I'm not really very good at uh, remembering for a start anniversaries or really paying that much attention to them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't. I don't really. The only thing, the only reason I'd notice is people who started talking about Star Fox a lot recently, and I, that was that was the thing that suddenly made me realise. Oh yeah, it's that you. But other than that, <laughs> I, I wouldn't really be me in. Yeah. Did what kind of thoughts come up when you kind of remember that it's the anniversary? Does anything kind of bubble up when you think about it? Um, yeah, actually, somebody asked me a really good question yesterday, which was, uh, how did Star Fox change your life? And it's quite a sort of innocent, innocuous question, but it's actually, it fundamentally changed, changed everything because I wasn't 
planning to live in Japan, I came over to to just work on Star Fox for a bit, a few months. That was the original plan. Um, and we ended up, you know, staying for a year and then I got married and ended up joining Nintendo and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it completely changed, you know, what I'm doing now. Um, uh, so yeah, it's actually, you know, it's the kind of a turning point for me. So yeah, I'm with that stuff sort of... Are you doing anything to celebrate? Do you think uh, Miyamoto will pop around with some flowers yeah. and have and have a beer with you? Um, maybe, possibly. We're actually we're having a party next Friday. Um, you know, we're hoping to get a few uh, old school Nintendo people to that. Um, oh, nice. Are you still so? Again, we'll come on to this in a second. But are you are you still friendly with uh, many people who work? There? Yeah, 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 yeah. We we bump into them quite often. Um, yeah, we you know we always sort of end up meeting them at parties and whatnot in Kyoto. So Kyoto is a very small city, so. <laughs> You, you nice. know, you're never too far away from, from everybody else so it's been a few while since a few years since you worked with nintendo directly uh from what i can tell um but you worked at nintendo for for a bunch of years and then as a second party studio alongside nintendo for something in like 20 years is that oh. is that right yeah, yeah. I, I think I was there for eleven or twelve years. You know, as an employee, I was there for eleven, twelve years, sort of. Um, and um, then I left and then started Vita. I was surprised I'm not seeing uh, more kind of Nintendo memorabilia in the background, but then there are some mushrooms at the top. I'm wondering yeah, if actually, that's got. I mean, no. I could. Sorry, you're probably incorrect. There's, there is actually, have, there's an old shelf of Nintendo stuff over there that you can't see. Yeah. Um, what have you kept? What, what things are on the shelf? We haven't. It's not so much we've. I've kept anything. It's just with when we, you know, because there's a lot of sort of secondhand shops in Japan. Whenever we see something like a, I don't know, an old 1080 box or a, something like that, we just pick it up and, and, uh, and, and we've actually got a, a 1080 snowball from that Kinsey picked up in the state. Um, so we've just sort of been collecting these little bits of memorabilia along the way. So. The studio you're at now is um, is Vite. Am I pronouncing that correct? Vite, Vite, Vite. Yeah, yep. Vite. Um, so this started as um, Vite Backroom, which was the second party studio that was working um, for and um, with uh, Nintendo for a bunch of years. But now it's independent, and you have a publishing label that kind of works on top of that or alongside that so, thing called Chuhai. Yeah, actually. So so uh, Vite on his own was the the original company that was working with Nintendo as a second party type thing for for you know okay. how many years. And then as we started to want to do other things like VR and PlayStation stuff, we couldn't do it in the same offices we were I working see. with Nintendo. So we made this thing called Vity Backroom because we had another office in the back room. Um so we made that a separate company. So there was no connection with Nintendo, there was nothing they couldn't complain about it at all. Um, and then, you know, that so that was all the, the fun non non-Nintendo stuff that was happening. Um, and then that carried on for, you know, a good five, six years, whatever. And then, um, we just, you know, we realized we actually need a brand here. And that's why we sort of changed everything to Chuhai Labs. Ah, so everything is Chuhai now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. So Chuhai's most recent game is Curse to the Golf, as we mentioned. But there was also a VR game relatively recently called Carve Snowboarding, I think, which is 
a kind of successor, uh, a VR successor to the N64 game, 1080 oh. snowboarding, which is what you, you were involved with making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was that was a sort of pet project that I had going for um, maybe two or three years before we actually got the deal to make this, the Quest version because I, we, we got the, the first uh, DK1, the original um, Quest prototype, whatever that was, how many years ago that was. And the one, I think one of the first demos I made on it was a snowboarding VR type thing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was on this the back burner for years and years. So I sort of had a lot of time to sort of perfect the controls and, and get it just how I thought it, a really, really good VR snowboarding game should be. Okay, and um, you've got a bunch of things that you're working on uh, now, I believe. Are any of those close to sort of being shown, or were we going to hear anything about no, those I, soon? I, actually, yeah, I mean, we have uh, we've got a where is this? We have a snowboarding game coming out on the play date actually called Carb oh, Junior. Oh wow! Um, so it's like a sort of mini carb isometric type thing coming out on play date very soon. Um. Yeah, obviously, uh, Whitewater Wipeout before that on Play Day, and then, you know, Carp, uh, Cursor Golf have that. Um, but we, we also have this huge game that we're going to be working on for the next couple of years that oh. is basically the, the main game at the moment. The biggie. And the when biggie. will we uh, hear anything about that or, or I see think something? We'll probably, like we'll probably start hearing about it maybe a year or so. Quite a long, long project. And is this something people who were kind of fans of um some of your work at nintendo before is this something that's in that sort of wheelhouse or is that yeah absolutely i think i think if you if you like you, yeah i don't know star fox then you'll, you'll like this game it's, ah, not, it's okay. not like a star fox game or anything like that but you know if you like star fox i think you'd like this game okay so talking of star fox let's go back in time a little bit here uh, or you know about 30 years yeah. um so when when you were younger, when you were a little boy, you know, running around scuffing your knees, was the dream always to work in games? Um, I don't think it was. I think it was. I mean, I always had a. I think I had a spectrum on my seventh or sixth or seventh birthday, um, and that's when I got hooked on onto sort of games in general and making making games, programming games, and all that kind of stuff. But it never really occurred to me that I could actually do that as a job because there wasn't really, yeah, there wasn't, you know, so much of a games industry back then. I guess there was, but you know, it's not like it's something you'd go into looking for a job. It's more of a sort of uh, a hobbyist type thing back then. So I don't think yeah. I don't think I did plan to end up in games. No. So, I yeah, I read that you kind of you you're playing around with computers and you and you're sort of toying around with with 3d which is you know so it might sound just like normal to people now but 3d wasn't a thing uh really back then it hadn't really arrived properly the computers weren't kind of capable of it um so you're toying around with these kind of things and your schooling is coming kind of to an end you're, you know you're 16 and um you're getting into this um movement kind of called demo scene uh, which is making kind of 3D, you know, demos and th- not necessarily games, but 3D kind of presentations. School finishes, and you come to a fork in the road, really. Um, 
and you're deciding, do I go on to higher education, do A-levels and things like that, or do I get a job? And and what happens next? Yeah, I, I yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, it was the, the I just finished my O-levels uh, and I had, you know, the next thing was to go on to A-levels at the time. I don't know if these still happen in, in the UK, but... Um, uh, and I didn't really fancy, I didn't, there wasn't any sort of particular subject that I was that into that I needed to go and make an A-level out of. So, uh, so I, yeah, I just saw an advert for Argonaut software in, in the, one of the uh, gaming bags. I said, well, I, yeah, I love their games. You know, I was a huge style glider fan. Um, and I was, you know, there's very few companies making 3D game well no there were no companies making 3d games back then so the idea of, of being able to work on 3d at a game studio in london was just it was just too good to be true i think so i, I was just so, i found them up and i showed them a demo that i was working on and they said yeah you come and work for us <laughs> so it was it was as simple as that a yeah. phone call show the demo and then you went to work and then so you grew up in london did you uh, Southampton and London, I guess. Okay, so at this point, you moved to London to work, or yeah, I think I spent maybe six, trying to trying to commute for six months. Tried that for a while, and that was kind of shit. You know, commuting from Southampton to London every day on the the M3 <laughs> and M25 was kind of uh, too much. So I ended up moving with my brother uh, in, oh. in, a, in a house because he was already in London because uh, you know he was like three years older than me, so. I see. And what was Argonaut like then? Because again, you know, video game companies, the video game industry, was everything was very new back then. It wasn't like there were these established companies with, you know, pension plans and things like that. It was, I imagine, quite a different experience. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, um, it was Jez's house, Jez Sam's house, basically. Yeah. And each room, there was a few programmers in each room. Um, uh, and, you, you know, it was, it was basically like a kind of yeah. Well, I mean, it's a very you know. I guess looking back, it's it sounds amateurish, but it was very it was a very cozy, nice way of working on game with you know working on a game with the people you like. And very very different from the so, company nowadays. <laughs> so it was a nice it was a nice experience. It's something mm, you yeah, look yeah, back on yeah. fondly. It was great fun, you know, because we we'd go down to the walked down the road to the pub. It was on Edgware Road, I think, in Millway. Um, uh, you know, we, so we'd, we'd go to the pub every Friday and we just, we just had fun at the time. Yeah. And so you're about, this is from 16 onwards that you're working here. Is well, that... Um, okay. I'm trying to, yeah, I guess it would be, yeah, 16, 17. I can imagine, yeah, that sounds like a fun environment for that time of life. And well, so it's while you're here, you mentioned Star Glider. And it's why you're here that, from what I read, Jez comes up with an idea to pitch Nintendo, um, to basically pitch Nintendo that they can make, you can make, 3D games on Nintendo hardware. Which, again, doesn't maybe sound remarkable now, but at the time, the, the Super Nintendo hadn't come out. It was just uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Just And so you were you know pitching 3d on that you know it was already a stretch on 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 super nintendo but you were pitching 3d on that so and i heard there was kind of a modified 
you managed to get it working on Game Boy of all things. What what happened? How how does this kind of whole pitch and idea go? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I can't actually remember whether it was Game Boy Game Boy first, then then uh, Famicom. But yeah, we had a we had it running on Famicom. Had some three Ds demos working on Famicom. It was you know terribly slow, but it it worked. Kind of thing. It was almost possible to make that into a game but it was very very slow um <laughs> i think we were actually slightly faster on the game boy because that was obviously pretty wireframe the screen smaller black and white graphics all that kind of stuff um so so yeah it was it was obvious that it was possible it just needed a bit of help and that's where the yeah. barrier chip came in. so what was the first the, what was the pitch to nintendo it was like look we could get 3d working on on your machines and then nintendo says well okay prove it and so so you prove it somehow at what point do you meet nintendo in all this where do you sort of say face to face hello and well, show I, them I what think, you're you know i think jez was just you know flat to japan and showed the 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 3d um the demos whatever uh, and um you know he basically said you know if, if you if you fund fund us to make a chip we can make an, an actual chip that goes on the cartridge to to basically speed all this up so you know you get proper f- good frame rates um proper 3d filled graphics 3d not, not just wireframe um and i think yeah they just said yes there and then i think he, i think he phoned up the uk in that meeting and, and just to check whether it was actually possible to do what he was proposing um you know, I think Pete Pete Warns, who was the, the main sort of tech guy, Pete and Carl, they just said, "Yeah, yeah it's doable if if we have the, the funding to do it." Because there were no there were no three D chips back then. There was no the concept of making a piece of hardware to do three D on a home console was was just way out there. Yeah. So Dylan comes back, or he's already phoned. He says he says yes, and then and then you get to work in the UK or is it that point where Nintendo goes we need you to work on this here um yeah so so you know we they um so in the UK they start working on the prototypes for the um you know for the for the Mario chip the, the Super FX chip and they, okay. they get it to a state where it's actually you know it's obviously bigger than a production thing but it's actually an actual running um prototype it's obviously a lot. The clock speed is a lot slower. It doesn't it's not? It's not going to be the same speed, but it's functionally working, and you can extrapolate how far it's how fast it's going to be in the future by sort of figuring out the you know the the frame rate and the clock speed at the moment, and then saying if well if we can get the clock speed up to this this speed, we've got we're going to have this amount of uh, GPU power. Yeah. Um, so it was very easy to sort of predict roughly what kind of frame rates and polygon rates we were going to get so we started making the game using you know using the prototype chips and yeah and work from there uh, basically so at what point do at what point do you go to japan um at what point you know what i can't remember what at what point but you know some along somewhere along the lines of when they started making the prototype chips, we went out to Japan to talk about how we were going to, um, you know, design the game, make the game, program the game, and stuff like that. And they were, you know, they were constantly sort of sending us new hardware updates. 
uh, while we were in Japan. Just... Okay. So, and is it this part of going to Japan where you end up just staying or were you coming back at this point? I think, I mean, we, we used to have this thing where we'd come, you know, we'd stay for a few months and then not visa hop, but our, our visas only lasted for 90 days. Uh, so we'd have to go, go in and out of the country anyway. Uh, so we'd either go home uh, or, you know, go to Korea or something like that every couple of months. So we were constantly in and out of Japan for two years or so. So how how did it feel going to Nintendo for the first time? Because Nintendo is one of these companies... Uh, especially Nintendo EAD, the Entertainment Analysis and Development Division for people listening, which is like Nintendo game making headquarters. Um, it has this kind of mysterious um, kind of reputation where people have heard of it and obviously it's created some legendary games in you know things that have shaped the gaming industry. But no one really knows what it's like inside because... I, they just don't talk about it, I guess, and they don't. They don't really there let are, people in. There are actually a few videos on YouTube of when they took the camera around places like EAD. Um, yeah, they're very, quite hard to find, but there, there are. There, that brings back, you know, huge memories because uh, they were very bland offices inside and out. Actually, um, very, you know, everything's white, grey, or, or sort of beige. Although the uniforms were beige. Um, and, you know, there's no, there's no real sort of. You, you'd imagine sort of all these sort of colourful sort of Mario's and all this kind of stuff around, but there's nothing. There's none of that apart from <laughs> all every, everybody's desks. Everybody would have because the all the desks were the same size, the same shape, whatever. You, you know, everybody sort of tried to make that little area their own area, so they'd have all their sort of figurines and stuff like that. So the, the building uh, and the insides of you know, pretty brown. But if you went to each person's desk, you you could you could sort of see what they were all about. Yeah. What was your kind of overriding feeling the first time you walked in there? Your... Um. I I guess it was just as overwhelming. I guess because it's such a. Um, you don't really know what to expect, and you're not you're not. You don't speak the language, so the only way you can talk to them is via an interpreter usually. Um, yeah. And it's all new, and um, yeah, very very different from anywhere back home, I guess. So, and who were you working with? Who who did you meet? Were you, were you meeting the kind of top people there when when you went, or was it? Uh, well, they're actually, the, the the top people now, but it was uh, Iguchi-san, Miro-san, uh, Kondo-san, Imamura-san, Masanobi-san. Um, you know, it was basically the the Star Fox team. With the we, we met them quite early on. Um, yeah. Did you like uh, that? Yeah, no, yeah, we we got on really well actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, so, in fact, we used to go to you know go out with them for for lunch every day for like a year. or there used to be a little sort of coffee shop around the corner called Tommy Mass, where all of the top brass and everybody went for from Nintendo. A tiny, tiny little cafe, but it was always full of Nintendo people. So if you wanted any of the secrets, that's where you'd go <laughs> for lunch. I wonder if, yeah, mental note, uh, when in Japan. Um, 
so and when you were having lunch did you did it ever turn to small talk did you ever kind of get away from games and just chat about yeah people's yeah, lives and... yeah yeah especially me because he was always interested in you you know the culture of uk and the beatles and i don't know all the, all the sort of just... stereotypical english things that people in japan love uh he was always really curious about all that kind of stuff did anything surprise you about him? Was he unexpected in any any way? We are me and Dylan had a um, a little nickname for him called Irrelevant because <laughs> he had this knack of just coming up with really weird, irrelevant kind of sounding questions. What kind of but, thing? I know it could be anything. It could be you know we've been talking about one thing, but then he'd suddenly start talking about something completely different. <laughs> but then eventually get back to what he was we were talking about in the first place. So I think his mind works in a very different way to other people. Okay, so you're spending quite a lot of time in Japan, and um, from what I understand, they you were put up in a a hotel somewhere, kind of all expenses paid. Is that right? Mm. Yeah, we were in the. Uh, forgot the name of it royal the royal something hotel in down on you know the main high street in kyoto for like a year i think yeah what and how was that was that was that exciting was that I, fun I, it was exciting it was right in the middle of the you know the the fun part of town right in the middle of that so you you'd go to all your the pubs and clubs and stuff like that and then to get home you'd be like a two-minute walk back to the hotel room so it was just it was an idea, if you're especially if you're 18, 19 kind of thing, it was like the perfect place to be for a couple, for a couple of weeks or maybe a month. And then it's the routine comes in and then the, the fact that every time you go back to your room, it's cleaned up. So where you've put oh, something yeah. down in the morning, it's now somewhere else kind of thing. <laughs> and you get that weird kind of nothing feels like home anymore kind of yeah. feeling. And I, I remember waking up numerous times forgetting where I was <laughs> because you your mind sort of plays tricks on you thinking, well, this must be home now, but it's obviously not home. So you, yeah. so you just wake up and you just don't know where you are sometimes. Did you have any idea at that point that you would be staying in Japan longer or were you always in your head thinking, um, I'm going back to the UK at some point? Yeah, we, we were always like a couple of months away from leaving. Kind of thing. Yeah, we never we never intended to stay for so long. I think. Yeah. So, development on Star Fox and this idea you kind of pitched them. Did does everything go quite smoothly with the game? Is development quite calm? I think it. I think it was. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, obviously, there was a, a lot of trial and error um, of of ways to do things and and trying yeah. things out. Uh, without knowing what you're supposed to do, because there's no there's no internet, so all, you, all the info yeah. you get is from books basically. So you don't really know if if what you're doing is is the right way of doing things or not. But I think that helps because that that kind of forces you to innovate a lot more than you would if you were being told what to do all the time. Um, and also on top of that, we'd had um, because the the chips were still quite buggy. You know, the Mario chips, FX chips were quite buggy you could spend a lot of time just trying to figure out whether it was a bug in your program or an actual hardware bug for a lot uh, of things. And that was a very frustrating time. Was there a Nintendo way of doing things? Because I imagine there was a bit of, a bit of a culture clash between 
you working in Jez Sun's house in uh, in London and the way of the style of working you had there to coming to Nintendo where things were, oh, I imagine quite formal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It felt like a school, really. Oh. Um, so you have to be in it. Even though we weren't employees or anything, we everybody had to be in at eight forty-five. <laughs> um, every day, and you'd you'd have to sort of. If you were late, you'd have to get a stamp saying why you were late and stuff like that. So it was a very, very, very formal place to work. Wow. Um, but I guess at the start, because we were sort of, you know, we weren't employees, we were, we were guests. They were very, very lenient at the start. But, you know, after I've you know, left and actually joined full time, that's when they actually started forcing the rules. Learning. Yeah, that's when it kicked in. So yeah. when do you make the decision to kind of stick around uh, what when does that happen i think it was just at the end of star fox i, I had to decide what i'm going to do i'm going to go back to the uk or or stay at nintendo make another game because the contract was oh no i'm finished with star fox yeah um and i yeah i just had to decide and i think by that time i already had a you know long-term girlfriend and okay. everything in the uk was already sort of moved on you know, there's no nowhere to go back to in the uk so quite a simple, a simple-ish decision, I guess. So at this point, you go Nintendo, you know, bring me on full time, or they offer, or however it happens, and then you join, and then the kind of rules of the company make themselves uh, kind of felt. So what, what was, what was it like? What was the kind of day-to-day experience like of working inside this, you know, kind of iconic development house? Um, I, I'd say uh, quite not yeah I mean it's strict but it's not I don't know I mean it's you, you get in at 8.45 you work until exactly 12 o'clock and then a bell rings and you have exactly an hour to have lunch um, and then another bell rings so there's like numerous bells throughout the day Uh <laughs> So you, I'm not gonna, I don't want to say like a prison, but I, that's how I'm, I would imagine a prison would work. Very, very efficient. Very, everything's on time. Everything's done on time. But everybody's used to it for so long that they just do it automatically anyway. So yeah. you don't really think about it after a while. And what about obviously crunch is a is a topic that people talk More. about uh, now. But I think there's this assumption that because people didn't talk about it back in the 90s or you know maybe early 2000s that it maybe wasn't there but of course it it was uh what was it like in that respect at nintendo um it was uh so so crunching i guess yeah we didn't know what it, the term crunching was i guess we were, yeah. they, we were just being told that we had to stay there until something was done or stay there until something was fixed we couldn't go yeah. home kind of thing uh, so, well, that... so a manager would just walk over and say you can't go home yeah 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 wow um because you know it was we had deadlines they had deadlines that somebody had already decided um we couldn't slip it was such a, a it was going to be such a big uh game for them that they they couldn't sniff on any of the deadlines and stuff yeah, um, 
And uh, yeah, I think it, it did rub us the wrong way a few times because, you know, it was Friday night, you're, you're 19, all your friends are out in town. Um, uh, and then suddenly you're told that you have to go and, you know, spend all weekend on working on something. It's You kind of, sometimes you do flip and go, why am I, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Did you ever, did you ever get into trouble there? Uh, yeah, numerous times, actually. <laughs> numerous times. We are always getting into trouble for for this and that. What kind of things did you I, get in trouble I know. For? It's, uh, one time we got a a, a new dev PC, and, and I turned it on, but I forgot to turn it to 110 volts, and it was set to 240 volts, and I blew up the transformer, <laughs> or the you know the power supply PSU, and me and I got really angry and said, "You've you." Uh, you need to go and apologize to blah 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 now and I just before uh, before that I just went back to my desk and swapped my PC PSU with the broken one and I said actually no it's fine it's not broken I I did actually broke it I just (laughs) fixed it before he found out but um, I know it's little silly things like that but no major no major kind of fallout not not really no They're, they're always just sort of silly little things so, I need I need to just grab my power supply quickly. Is that can you edit this out? Uh yeah, that's fine, yeah. I can uh I'll be can back pause. In two seconds. Okay. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline environment oh no get into trouble that was it so okay so after star fox is finished what do you go on to making them were you working on star fox 2 uh no that was that was dylan and the some other people from the original star fox scene okay they were they were in the they were next to us we were working on um wild, wild tracks stunt race effects ah okay so what actually? What did you think of Star Fox when it eventually came out? Because I read somewhere that, um, I mean, there's obviously a lot that you like about it, but you weren't entirely happy with the frame rate you eventually put the game out with. Thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was the same with all all of the FX games. Really, um, you know, when you when you start making the game, because there's not a lot of content and and whatnot in there, it, you design. You design it for say twenty frames a second, and it feels really nice. The movement's really, really nice. Um, and then the more stuff you put in, the slower it gets. Yeah, and that's when it starts feeling sort of really sort of laggy and, and gnarly. Um, and there's there's not really a lot you can do about it apart from go back and and speed everything up in the physics and stuff like that. Yeah. So. So this was the same for for stunt race um, yep. effects, I think. Yeah. So a couple of games um, on uh, for the Super FX chip, and then you move on to. Uh, at what point do you move on to the N sixty four 
stuff um so i i guess so after we did stunt rate effects um there was a, a period of sort of r&d of not sure what what ead was going to be working on next at all okay because they they just start talking to started talking to sgi um cynical graphics about making the what was it called the um reality something or other um and they were nintendo were basically talking to them f- to, to ask them to design the chip and make the hardware yeah um and 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 actually yeah the software as well um at, with ead in mind so a lot of times we'd, we'd go out talk to sgi and tell them well we need we need the chip and the api to do this we'll be able to do this and that kind of thing um so it was very much a, a sgi design chip but very informed by nintendo i see so you you're part of the conversation the minute mm. n64 is kind of or project reality i think as it was called project reality yeah that's it um you're part of the conversation as soon as it that conversation begins yeah yeah in fact a, a couple of times we went out with uh, iwata-san actually um uh you know when he was still you know the how not actually nintendo but still how yeah um uh you know we, we just go out with me and i think nishida san and a few other people we go out and talk to the engineers at sgi quite often actually. what was it like traveling with iwata san and yoshida san it was interesting because I don't they haven't really traveled much. Um so that it was all very very, very new new to them, I think. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the, the offices are very the way of working is very, very different from what they were used to. So they thought I think a lot of times they thought they uh, you know, the the work ethic wasn't wasn't as good as Nintendo's as it were. A lot I of times. See. So they thought Nintendo does it best. Well, they, that's all they—that's all they knew, I guess. So they didn't know there was another way of doing the same amount of work, but not having to do it so rigidly. And what I'm talking about is things like I know they, the day we got there was when um, uh, that partnership with Steelberg uh, and two other directors, I can't remember the names. Uh, they they made a new studio, SGI, and these, these directors. I can't remember the name of it. Ah, uh, so okay. they had a big party. They had a big party. Uh, it was DreamWorks actually. It was when DreamWorks was created, I think. Ah. Um, uh, so we get there. We was we only had two days to talk to them, and the first day was just them partying, or you know, <laughs> us partying with them. Uh, and I think Iwata-san was was a bit annoyed with that. So. So, so Spielberg was Spielberg there? I think he was. Yeah, I, n- I never met him, but ah, I'm trying to think I... of the names. So it was there was three three big producers or directors or something like that, like Gettenberg or Jeff Jeff something like that. I can't remember. So I'll look it up. Um, um, did you did you get on well with White Sun when you were travelling with him? Did you was there a kind of friendship there? Not, not really. It's very, it's very sort of, uh, you know, it, it doesn't wasn't a guy that really talked about personal things a lot. Very much, yeah. very much uh, work, work ethic, sort of, you know, work and work kind of thing. 
Yeah. There wasn't a lot of, sort of personal talk, really. Were there, when the N64 was kind of being put together a design, were there sort of um, differing ideas on what Nintendo wanted the console to be? Did the, did the ideas change at all, or was it always one quite clear vision? Um, I think it was, so I think Takeda-san in, I'm going to say R&D 2, he was the guy in charge of the whole project, basically. So he had quite clear visions of what he wanted to make from a hardware point of view. And Miyamoto-san had quite strong opinions about what, uh, you know, what the graphics should look like and, and, and what kind of games he wanted to be able to make on it, on using the the chips whatever so yeah. i think they from the start they had quite strong opinions of, about what it should look like at least you know yeah. the, the the end output and you know, the, the game that they're making so when do you start making um games for it because um sgi so they they send a bunch of kit to you i think so you can start sort of playing around with um the kind of specs but- that are are going to be yeah they, uh, they sent us a, a ton of indies which is probably my favorite pc actually um so the indies were for the programmers the indie goes for, for the designers okay. really big machines and then an onyx to do the actual emulation uh an onyx is like this huge fridge of a, of a <laughs> pc really expensive thing and that was actually emulating the chip uh in software so you, okay. you could at a reasonable speed as well. It's quite impressive. So you you you'd make everything. Uh, at your workstation, you take the ROM to to the Onyx, and you actually play it at you know more or less full speed kind of thing. Which is, wow, which is pretty cool. Um, but we did a lot of a lot of the stuff using GL it's before it became OpenGL. SGI made this language called GL, graphics library thing. Um, so we we did everything in that. Uh, we made the entire game in GL actually, and then at some point they basically turned the GL backend API into into you know something that the the ships could understand. Yeah, and so what were the first sort of things you were playing around? Because I know there's the the legendary um, Mario sixty four face. So for, you know, for people who aren't aware, when you know, when you're loading the game, there's sort of a it's kind of a loading screen or like a, a start screen. Uh, where Mario's face is there and you can grab you use the white hand glove and you can just sort of pull pull his face <laughs> away yeah, yeah. Um, and and you came up with that I think uh, yeah because when when I got the indie they came with a, a web camera thing and you know web cameras were really new back then uh, yeah so the idea of having a using the webcam to control things originally I, I had ping pong balls that I was just moving around to to detect because they're very easy to pick up software. Uh, so I, you know, I attach it to my face and I thought, well, yeah, I could make a face out. I could make actual facial motion capture type thing out of that. So I, you know, I did a rudimentary uh, prototype of that. Um, and then, you know, me and most of the time was walking past and said, well, <laughs> let's, let's try and get Mar- uh, Mario face into that. So Poison san um, went off and made a, a Mario face with, with bones and everything that I could use, uh, so yeah, I just, so then I just skinned the the uh, all the polygons together. Skinning back then was a new thing as well. Um, mm. Skinning is where you've you've got you know 
a polygon that can move float around on top of the bones um so I, you know i did that and i got it all sort of spongy and whatnot uh and then we just we just sort of iterated on that to see what was fun and nice um and so i think you were also making or also involved in making um a zelda demo i think for a yeah. um for a show um shoshinkai i don't shoshinkai, know shoshinkai um, and, and this showed Link uh, fighting an enemy. And I presume this is a demo that would then go on to become, um, well, Majora's Mask, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I don't think they actually used any of the code, but they definitely used the the ideas that we were doing. Things like, um, you know, having sparks on the, when you hit, when the swords hit and stuff like that, having sparks and having moving lights and, the, the demo that I made was more to show what the N64 was capable of. Okay. And what a what the the future Zelda is going to look like on an N64. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it went kind of a bit over the top with all the effects. We, we turned everything on. We put all the <laughs> things like environment mapping. The I think the enemy was environment map lead. Um, you know, it was like a sort of chrome type environment map thing and then yeah. sparks and then moving three moving lights and skinning and all this kind of stuff obviously not not that made it actually made it into the final game because that's very costly to do but yeah it was a good way of showing what was what it was capable of sure um and obviously we talked a bit um you, you would go on to make um 1080 snowboarding um or how many people were involved in that project because i the way i understand it you were quite central to this whole thing yeah, I, I think in total there was maybe nine people. So it's like three, three programs. I was the lead programmer. We had Colin and another guy, uh, maybe two artists and a sound guy, a couple of producers, stuff like that. It's amazing. It's very, to think, very, very, very small team. It's amazing now. You know, you hear the amount of people who are involved in these games, which in, in, are as big in people's memories as the games you know that they play today probably and, and they were made by nine people whereas games oh. today are made by several hundred people you know the biggest games it's well the, the scale is just completely different now now you know the the scale of the game the scale of the graphics everything's just bigger yeah did you you were quite involved in the um the creation of the of the n64 did you go on to help nintendo with the creation of the gamecube as well were you involved with that no, I think I'd actually left at that point. Ah, okay. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Yeah, but that okay. was the first project I worked on after leaving was uh, a GameCube game, Dosh and the Giant. Actually, I I made a GameCube version of that for them. Ah, I see. So, were there other which other N sixty four projects were you involved in? Um, I'm trying to think. Because like I, I guess, I guess, I'm not going to say all of them, but you know, things like Pikmin and Wave Race and stuff like that. We were we were all kind of sharing codes and sharing ideas and yeah, that whatnot. So I guess we we'd all we'd all have a hand in everybody's games there. Do you remember around this, that period? Do you remember this being an exciting time? Were you again? Do you do you look back on this time as in fondly or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think the the N sixty four period was definitely my favourite period. Ah, the the ten eighty period. So why why do you eventually leave Nintendo? Um, 
so you leave before the GameCube work really gets start starts getting no. underway. Um, and why is it that you choose to to leave? Um, I think there was a, there was two main reasons. One was uh, if you're a foreigner in Japan working in a Japanese com- company like that, you don't really have a you get to a certain s- stage where you can't really go any further. Oh, you I can't, see. You're never going to become a manager or a butcher or whatever, you know, or even a shacho even, um, because you're a foreigner. So the, I realized that was, that was that was my job for the rest of the time if I didn't do something about it, which was, you know, it was good. It was very safe, very uh, reliable. Um, but, I, you know, I'd be doing it for like 10 years at that point. So yeah. I thought now is a good time to try something else. And also, I you know I was getting offers from all sorts of companies to to work on things that weren't games or 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 games in a very different way. And there was just a lot of more interesting things going on at that time. What kind of uh, things? I, well, I don't know. Also, also, things. I mean, one of the things was I. I don't know if you remember Palm Palm Pilot, which is an old yeah uh, PDA type thing. I do. Um, yeah. So I I made the I made the uh, the a TCP/IP stack, you know, a way of connecting it to the internet. Wow! Um, by the serial port, and they didn't have that. They didn't have any kind of internet ki- connectivity on that. On that. Um, and they got wind of this and said, "Can you come and work for us uh, in the UK?" So I, you know, that was one point. I thought actually, maybe I should just go and do that because that sounds like really good fun. Because mm-hmm. you know, the the PDA was just booming just then. It was like yeah. The, the iPhone of the of the nineties, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, and a precursor to that kind of connectivity that we have uh, we yeah, have yeah. today. I guess at the first we take it for granted now, but back then, you know, being able to connect a, a little device like that to the internet was kind of really, really uh, amazing. Really, yeah. So, when you left um, Nintendo, what what is it you went to go and do then? Because it was still a couple of years before you came back to create. Vite, I think. Um, yeah, I just I think I just freelanced for a while. I fr- yeah, I freelanced and I did some work for Nintendo, still working on, um, like you know, doing the doshing game stuff like uh-huh. that for a few mm-hmm. years. Just just bits and pieces of of advising, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. So, <laughs> what was the sort of inspiration behind starting your your own studio, and then um, I guess. It made sense to work so closely with Nintendo, but what what was the inspiration to go right? I'm going to make my own place. I don't think there was never an intention to do that. Actually, I oh, think I just it. had to do it out of necessity because I needed to. There was one project that we were asked to do. I'm trying to think what it was, but but I needed an artist. I needed a couple of artists. I needed an extra programmer. And at that point, you know that you kind of have to start a company out of. Uh, otherwise, just you know, makes things t- way too complicated. So I, I made it. I made the company out of um, necessity rather than wanting to make a company. I think. I see. Um, and <laughs> your time at Nintendo and and the things you'd learnt there and the way you'd seen that company run. What things did you take as inspiration of what you wanted to do, and what things did you take as <laughs> inspiration for things you didn't want to do? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't, I didn't want to do all the things that annoyed me at Nintendo, like having to be there at A45 and 
having do you have a bell system (laughs) do i yeah maybe (laughs) we should do that i mean one of the things i this is really silly but one of the things i hated was having to have lunch at 12 because i'm just not that i'm still not really that kind of person that has lunch at the same time every day yeah um but there's not you, you that's all you can do in Nintendo. So that was, you know, obviously one of the, the big things is I don't give a, a damn about, you know, when people take their lunch out and stuff like that. <laughs> so, I, you know, so it's turned into, it's made it, you know, our company into a very kind of, I guess, relaxed kind of place <laughs> because I was at Nintendo and I know that people, not, nobody really wants to be told when to have lunch and stuff like that. Um, so, there's, so there's that. Uh, and also, you know, just, Working in Nintendo, it sets your your standard bar very, very high. Okay, uh, which is a really, really good um, thing to have at the start when you're in your career. I think if you're if you're forced to set your bar high, then you you just maintain it high for you know all the way. Let me see. Yeah, um, um, so I think that was probably the the biggest thing I learned. So. How how big is the studio now? How many people? Um, I, I presume you've kind of grown over the years, or have you kind of grown and then shrunk? What? How big are you now? Yeah, we've kind of fluctuated over the years. When, when we were working with Nintendo, we had like thirty people all in the oh, front wow. room, you know, working on various things. Uh, and then when we stopped working with Nintendo, we sort of slimmed down a bit. And now, I mean, we still have. We only have like fifteen employees, but probably another. 15 you know freelancers stuff like that working with us so so now that we work especially with covid the way we work now is um we scale up and down very granularly when, yeah. when we need somebody we scale we have a sort of team of people uh that always are always are kind of available at various times to sort of pick up the new it's yeah and i imagine one of the things um that you've been able to do with with your own studio is kind of follow your own own passions because I, I get a sense that what kind of interests you um we're talking about the palm pilot and you're talking about play date and having a, a, a game running on that a snowboarding game on that and obviously vr is this new technology new kind of applications of of technology is that am i getting the right sort of sense there the right kind of inkling yeah, I think it's 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 stuff. Anything that I haven't seen or done before is stuff that interests me. It's, it doesn't have to be really new technology, but you know things like Playdate, holding up Playdate. There, <laughs> it's 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 such a unique uh, little device. Not you know not technically amazing or new technology or anything, but it's just such a nice thing to work with um, and on and use and play with and stuff like that. That you know that's that that's the kind of thing I love. Uh, and with VR, you know the the Quest, the Quest Two, and the Quest Pro, stuff like that. Uh, you know they obviously have the best. Um, Meta have the best VR sort of tech, so that's always that's always going to draw me in. But yeah. basically, anything that hasn't been seen before is is what really gets me going. Is there anything else besides, I suppose, VR and and Playdate that you that is exciting you at the moment? Anything that you're kind of itching well, to get? I think that, that would have to be AI. I think. Ah, okay. Yeah. A big a big I talking point at the moment. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. I, yeah, I think, you know, the next couple of years is going to be very, very different. So, 
uh, Vitae Backroom, um, as it was known uh, yeah. back then, um, some of the games you've put out over the years, there's, there was Theta or Theta uh, for, for DS, uh, which was kind of a, an aquarium puzzle game. There was WiiWare game Rock and Roll Climber. I think there was 3DS games, Steel Diver and then Steel Diver Sub Wars. Uh, and there was 3DS game Tank Troopers. Um, have I missed any off my list? I'm hoping that people listening will I'm, be like, I'm oh, trying I played to, that. I'm trying I played to think. We did, we, did a, we did so many more prototypes games and games that are almost completed but never released that ah. we're never allowed to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's... Why were the prototypes there are, there are They things. just didn't reach the kind of Nintendo standard? They just kind of changed their mind at the last minute? They, or? I think... I, th- I think if you, the usual reason is that they're not they're not commercial enough, or they're not big enough to be worthy of Nintendo's marketing, as it were. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that was that's the main reason. There's things like uh, we made a really really cool sort of puppet game using Wii Wii remotes. And basically, use the Wii remote to control a puppet. You make puppet shows and stuff like that. Um. And it just felt really, really good. It looked really good. It sounded really good. And everybody was sort of blown away by it. But the thing was, it just wasn't, it wasn't enough people. They didn't, Nintendo didn't think there was enough people into that kind of thing to make it worthwhile. Yeah. How do you, that must be quite demoralizing <laughs> to have something kind of pulled, <laughs> pulled away at the last moment. Uh, yeah, and no. I mean, sometimes it's good to just work on something for a few months and then move on to something else. I, yeah, you know, the the time when we were doing those prototypes uh, was one of my favourite periods as well because you were, we were working on new things every three months <laughs> and yeah. being paid to do it or anything. So it was like the ideal job. So like you just you just playing around, making cool demos, and being paid to do it. It's um, it's a remarkable career that you've had. You know, it's to have spent all this time, you know, at Nintendo, and then to you know still be doing it now and still um, you know enjoying it and being at a very healthy company and studio. And I'm very excited to hear what's coming next. Um, when you get a moment like this, I suppose a kind of reflection moment, um, and memories kind of start popping up. Um, is there a kind of a fondest memory, I suppose, of or fondest memories um, of your time at Nintendo and your career so far? I think maybe when I just first arrived, that was probably my fond, because you know the fondest, most memorable part of coming to Japan was first coming here and just seeing everything as new and exciting, sort of thing. Uh, you know that that was that was a really good six months. I think probably my does fondest it, six months here. Does it feel like much has changed um, in Japan since then? Uh, yeah, it feels like everything's changed. Actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still it's still Kyoto is very obviously very quite old fashioned when it comes to sort of architecture and stuff like that. But everything else has changed. You know, there's when we first came here, there was like one or two foreigners in Kyoto, um, and you'd actually say hello to you know hello to somebody if you didn't <laughs> if you didn't know them, you'd say hello because they were a foreigner. You know, now there's it's, uh, that's completely different. Um, I don't know. Every, everything's just. Also, there was no internet back then. There was there was BBSs, and that was about it. So there was nobody looking into phones all the time, and and you know everything was very different. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose 
when the internet wasn't there, it places were more distinct. I suppose they were no. there was a little less um, kind of sharing or homogenization. I suppose in mm. in some sense, and you'd, you'd have things like arcades, you know, game arcades with and different game arcades with different types of games and stuff like that, and you know, uh, weird shops with that sell you know sold sort of um, really cool games that you could you know you could only get there kind of thing there was a very sort of yeah it was you know there was no sort of big chains and stuff like that it was all lots of mum and pup kind of small shops selling really cool stuff that you don't re- you don't really have anymore kind of miss that yeah ah oh, happy memories um <laughs> We kind of come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for for joining us today, kind of reminiscing um, uh, about the old times and the the bell ringing uh, at Nintendo. It sounds like they've got a kind of church spire, and everyone was. Uh, I think that's the because it's the, they have that at school. I think they just have it because that really it's just ingrained in their heads that 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 is the the sound of lunch kind of thing. Have I think they'd be lost without it? Have have, have Japanese. I suppose you've been at your own company for so long, it's hard to tell. But as as far as you know, have their kind of working practices changed or is it just as formal, just as regimented? I think it really depends on the company. I think I think the big companies are still, it's very much, very much unchanged. Um, but there's a lot of new, ups, you know, upcoming companies that are very much sort of grown up from the Silicon Valley area. Yeah. Um, not era era of of sort of trying to be like you know you remember when Google first showed their offices and it was full of like cool chairs and stuff like that and everything was colourful they're you know trying to do that kind of thing they're trying to make their company less formal is is yeah. quite a big thing in Japan I think at the moment which is really cool to see in a way it's it's surprising almost that you, you hear these this account of Nintendo you know these these fairly sterile kind of place um well, it's kind of surprising that the games you know the imagination we see on the sort of as an end user it's kind of you track it all the way back and it's kind of surprising that it came from that almost gray mm. place to begin yeah, yeah. With. my my theory on that is that um well i have a few theories but one of them is that it, that's kind of intentional so that people do put all their imagination into the game and not into Oh. You know, where they're working and stuff like that. I don't. I don't. Maybe that's thinking a bit too much. But also, you know, you, if if you are in a bland office, you you do tend to put all your your imagination into what you're working on, not mm. not the office. Really. A bit like why one of the reasons I think the UK has the best music is because of the weather. <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, we're, and you know the lack of sunlight. We're spending all the time indoors. You know, it's quite dark, it's quite cold, kind of thing. It's raining outside usually, so you, you're going to want to make a nice kind of environment and a nice kind of make something really imaginative in the stuff you're doing because you've not much else to do, is there? Yeah, I, I can, I can definitely see, I can definitely agree with that. Um, so I've got a couple of questions to ask you before I wrap up. Uh, they're just questions that I ask everyone. Um, so the first one of these is first game. What was the first game you played? And this could be the literal first game or it could be the first significant game. I'm going to say Space Invaders <laughs> in, in the fish and chip shop down the road for me. 
There was a fish and chip shop near me that also had a space invaders. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and when you played it, was was it kind of love at first sight? Were you? I was just amazed at how I was fascinated about how it was actually how the the screen was changing because you know you, you you knew it was a TV, but you couldn't figure out how it was managed to change when you moved to the thing, the ship, and as in. I always thought that was really cool. That's cool. Like, when I mean, you're a kid, you think that there's people inside your TV acting out <laughs> what you're watching, and they bit like that. Hang on, do you mean to say there's not? There's no. I'm going to have to break it to you. There's, there's <laughs> not usually. So the second of these questions is last game. What was the last game you were playing? Um, Test of Golf. Available now on Steam. And all your favourite sites. Uh, no, I think it was probably Cursed Golf actually, because I was. No, it's not. It's it's our new game that hasn't been released yet. That's what it okay. is. Okay, so that's one I played. And the final one of these questions is best game. Which is best your, game. which is your favourite game? Best game, however you want to interpret it. I I think I'm always just going to go back to Starblade, in, in the arcades, okay. for that. Uh, nice, because that's. That, that's the that's kind of what really got me into this whole genre of 3D and all that kind of stuff is, is Starblade. I'm going to say, yeah, obviously things like Star Wars, maybe it's Star Wars or Starblade, one or the other. Maybe it's Star Wars, actually. You know, the old wireframe Star Wars game? Yeah. Maybe it's that one. Or Starblade, one of those two. I feel like you should have a cabinet in your office. I do. Yeah, we definitely need one of those, but they're so big. If you want the, the proper one, it's like a full, it's a room size type thing. That's it's really, okay. really big. Just push out some computers. Push out. Bring yeah. the cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Check. We don't um, need a toilet. We only need one toilet. <laughs> just yeah, just next to it. It's like a yes. extended cubicle. Um, Giles, thank you so much uh, for all this time we spent with me today. Um, I hope it's been fun taking your trip down memory lane. So did I actually? I just, I, yeah. I mean, people say, "Aren't you getting sick of these things?" And I said, "Well, no, actually, because every time I do one, I remember something new. So it's actually quite good. It's good. It's ah, quite good fun. Lovely. Well, thank you again. And um, for everyone uh, listening, uh, thanks for listening. This was one to one. I'm Bertie, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with another podcast for you. Bye for now. <laughs>